0: Do you recall what it felt like to be a teenager? Um, Perhaps uh, you'd rather not, right? Um, uh, I know that that would be my experience, rather, uh, not remembering what it felt like to be a teenager, but not for all of the stereotypical reasons. Um, The reason why I would rather not recall what it felt like was um, to be a teenager is kind of in this in-between space, isn't it? Um, to be a, a teenager is this, I am, but I'm not sort of space in life. So when I was a, a teenager, I recall like, this, this realization that like, I am an adult, but I'm not an adult. <laughs> I had this realization, like I am a child, but I'm not a child. I had this realization that like, I have responsibilities, but I don't have responsibilities. I had this realization that I am a free, autonomous person who can do what I want, but I'm not really a free, autonomous person who can do what I want. To, uh, our teenage years are, are kind of this awkward stage of like being in between, right? Of I am, but I'm I'm not. We have these in between stages all throughout our lives, right? Um, we have this perhaps uh, in a job transition, and if you've ever been in a job transition, you know the awkwardness of this question of what do you do, right? Particularly if you didn't end your job uh, on your own terms, right? <laughs> you say well I'm in between jobs and everybody's like well I know what that means right and it's kind of an awkward question or if you've ever moved from one city to the next you know that your time at the end of city A is kind of this awkward in between because this isn't really your home anymore and you know that the beginning of moving to, to city B is kind of this awkward stage of like well this isn't quite my home yet I haven't established roots and it feels weird to call it home. Uh, we feel this with seasons of of life as well. I think about uh, our, our seniors who have graduated. They find themselves in this in-between of not quite college students and not quite high school students anymore and this, this pull on both sides, this, uh, the, the, uh, the, the pressures of, of both kind of pulling them in between. Uh, to be in this in-between space can be kind of this awkward unique sort of phenomena because to be in the in-between is often to not be sure of who um, our people are in this stage. To be in the in-between is to not be sure necessarily who our tribe is in this stage. To be in the in-between is to not always know what our identity is in this stage. To be in the in-between can be this awkward sort of unique phenomena, And yet, I think this in-between stage is precisely the space that God has invited and that God calls the church to set up shop and to establish and build and grow her roots in the midst of. So let me plead my case here. So in Acts chapter 15, we have this monumental sort of moment, this monumental sort of decision that happens within uh, the story of the book of Acts as a whole. The who's who within the early church come together and they deal with this nagging question of what do we do with the Gentiles? What do we do with the non-Jewish people? Now, recognize, like, when we use the word Gentile, this is like most of humanity, right? Like, this is a really all-inclusive term of everybody that's not Jewish, And so there's this nagging question of what do we do with the Gentiles. So they come to this monumental like upending sort of decision that Gentiles can be welcomed into the community of faith as Gentiles like they don't have to become Jewish that they can continue to be Gentile and and live out their Gentile existence while following Jesus. Now, from this like massive decision, uh, we're told that Paul and Barnabas, these two leaders, go to the church in Antioch, this predominantly Gentile community. They share this good news. After they share this good news, some days later, meaning days, weeks, months, years later, Paul decides that he wants to go back out onto the road. He wants to gather the band back together and and, uh, do the the greatest hits around the, the known world again. right? So they're wanting to go and check in on these communities, but they come into conflict with one another. So Barnabas takes John, Mark, and they head out one direction. John, or Paul takes uh, Silas with him and they go out a different direction. And that's where we pick up our story. So Paul is uh, heading out, and we're told that Paul also went on to Derbe and to Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. So Paul's on the road. Uh, going city to city going to these communities of followers of the way of Jesus and he's checking in on them and as he comes to one of these cities he encounters a young man by the name of Timothy now Timothy is an interesting character in this story because Timothy we're told his mother is a Jewish woman who's also a believer which means that she's a Jewish woman who has uh, gotten caught up in this movement that centered itself around the life, the teachings, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. We might call her a Jewish Christian, right? But she's, she's an ethnic Jewish woman who's believing in Jesus. But his father is not. His father is a Greek. Now, we don't know anything else about him. There's no other disclaimers like whether he's a believer or not. So that means that we can be doing some assuming here. So this tells us that he's a Gentile, which means that he's non-Jewish, that he hasn't come to believe the Jewish faith. This also means that he's probably a pagan in the most proper sense of the word. Like, he followed the, the cultural and the civic sort of religions of the day, believing in the multitude of gods, the pantheon of gods, and participating in the religious uh, life of what it means to be a Greek man. Now, what does this mean for Timothy? Well, this means that Timothy possesses all sorts of dichotomies within him, right? Right? Because Timothy is someone who has a mi- mixed ethnicity. Because in t- Timothy's very bones uh, carries both Jewishness and Gentileness. Timothy bears this mixed tribe, meaning that he can feel at home both among the Jews and both at home among the Gentiles. He carries this mixed sort of identity of being able to answer, I'm Jewish or I am Gentile. Now, this is a fascinating sort of existence for Timothy because, like, Jew and Gentile, like, they weren't just like neighbors who were like two different people. Like, they saw things a little differently, and there was some hostility from time to time over the course of years. And so, Timothy carries this sort of like hostility between these two groups in his very bones, meaning, like, Timothy is not just in this in between place. But Timothy embodies this in-betweenness. Like in his very bones, in his very soul, he carries this in-between of both Jew and Gentile. These two groups that may not always see eye to eye. He carries the, the, um, the conflict, the discrepancies between these two groups within his very bones. Which means that he knows the awkwardness, the unique um, uh, sort of phenomena that is the state of being in-between. Meaning, he knows the awkwardness of what it's like to go into the Jewish synagogue, the Jewish center of faith, with his Jewish mother carrying his Greek attributes. And for people to look at him and see the Greek eyeline, and then to look at his Jewish mother and give him the up-down and wonder, I wonder where he came from. Meaning, he knows what it's like to go with his Gentile friends throughout town and to pass the pagan temples. And while they begin to participate in the pagan rituals, he moves on without them. And for them to stop and look back and wonder if he's actually one of them he knows this awkwardness within his very bones within his very soul of what it means to to belong to everyone and yet not belong to anyone Uh, i recently started reading um uh, barack obama's first presidential memoir and it's really fascinating um within the few uh, first few pages of it he describes his upbringing and his maternal grandparents are um, a white couple i think of irish descent. Uh, who grew up in Kansas and carry like this Midwestern sort of ethos within them. Uh, His mother is white, who has this like sort of free spirit, buck the system, don't tell me what to do sort of persona, uh, which leads her into all sorts of justice initiatives, crossing all sorts of cultural taboos, which leads her to marry a black man from Kenya, which would become his father. He talks about how he spent a number of his early years living in Indonesia, carrying all of this ambiguity within him. He talks about living in Hawaii in a poor apartment complex with his grandparents and with his mom, going to this rich, wealthy, elite private school. And he describes all of this by saying, all of this pulled me in different directions. It was as if because of the very strangeness of my heritage and the worlds I straddled, I was from everywhere and nowhere at once a combination of ill-fitting parts like a platypus or some imaginary beast, confined to a fragile habitat, unsure of where I belonged. And I sensed without fully understanding why or how that unless I could stitch my life together and situate myself along some firm axis, I might end up in some basic way living my life alone. He says, I was from everywhere and nowhere at the same time. See, he, he recognizes... The heaviness and the weightiness that comes with being in the in-between. This, this very awkwardness in, our, in his soul of not knowing where he belongs. Belonging to everything, not belonging to anyone. He knows the uncertainty of his people, his tribe, his identity. And I think that this is the very existence of Timothy in this moment. And yet, as Paul begins this missionary journey, as Paul begins to spread the good news of Jesus to much of the known world of this day, he picks Timothy to go along with him. Why? I think the reason why is because Timothy embodies this in-between. See, Paul would become like the champion of Gentile inclusion within the early church. He would become the most outspoken advocate for full inclusion of the Gentiles, that Gentiles can come as they are and worship Jesus. Paul was convinced that something monumental, something cataclysmic, something cosmic shaping took place in the life, the teachings, the death, and resurrection of Jesus, that now Gentiles are welcome into what God is doing in the church. In fact, this is how Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, for Christ is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups, Jew and Gentile, into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with his commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. See, Paul sees something monumental, something cataclysmic, something cosmic-shaping happening in the life-teaching death and resurrection of Jesus, and that is that God is forming one new humanity, t- stepping out of these tired old binaries of, of Jew and Gentile and doing something completely different. And in this one new humanity, what was once a dividing wall of hostility, which some have suggested was a literal wall in the temple that separated the holiest places for the Jews away from the Gentiles. This wall comes crumbling down, this hostility that existed between these two groups the animosity that existed between these two groups in Christ's body all of this has been put down and now there is one new humanity so much so that Paul can come to this like grand realization that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile nor male nor female Uh, nor slave, nor free, that these these hierarchies that we put within ourselves, these divisions that we put within ourselves, have no place within the community of Christ. That we are all one, that there is something entirely new happening within the church. But this idea, as ridiculous as it sounds now, (laughs) was just as ridiculous back then. And so Paul knew that if he was going to preach this message of Gentile inclusion, if he was going to preach this message of Jew and Gentile existing together, if he was going to preach this message of one new humanity, that he needed an example of what this could look like. He needed a prototype of what it could look like. And he comes across Timothy. This half-Jewish man, this half-Greek man, who's a follower of Jesus and says... You're exactly what I'm talking about. And so he picks up this embodiment of the in-between and carries Timothy with him so that when he goes to the Jewish communities, he says, listen, what God is doing in Christ in the community of faith in the church is forming one new humanity where Jew and Gentile can coexist and co-flourish together. Timothy knows this because Timothy embodies this. And if he can do it, you can do it. Paul takes Timothy to the Gentile communities and says, what God is doing in Christ in the church is forming one new humanity where there can be co-flourishing and coexistence between Jew and Gentile. And if Timothy can do it in his body, then you can do it as well. It was an absurd idea that there could be one new humanity that coexisted and existed in mutual flourishing, and he needed a prototype and an example. And I think to this very day, Timothy continues to be a prototype and continues to be an example for us as the church. Meaning that as we think about the spaces and the places that God has called us to inhabit, to dwell, that God is inviting us, that God is calling us to be embodied in the in-between, to step out of the places that might feel comfortable, to step out of the the preconceived uh, people and tribe and identities that we have, to form something new. But even more than all of that, like I think what God is doing in Christ is being an active peacemaker among the hostility that exists on earth. Which means that if we're going to take Jesus seriously and follow him as the prince of peace, then this means that to be a peacemaker then is to be embodied in the in-between to find ourselves in this awkward sort of liminal space where we're not sure of people, tribe, or identity, but being an example to the rest of the world that there can be something like peace and wholeness among conflicted and divided groups. Now what this means to be in the in-between is that we have given ourselves so fully to the way of Jesus, so fully to the kingdom of God, that this stands over and against all of our other commitments, all of our other allegiances, so that if there's conflict between these two, that we say we're going to take the way of Jesus over any other sort of allegiance. Now, what this doesn't mean is that the in-between is some sort of, like, moderate position. Uh, It doesn't mean that it's some sort of compromise. It doesn't mean that, like, there's position A and position B, and we drop a pin in between and say this is the kingdom of God. But what it does, but what being in, in the in-between means is that we have enough, humi- enough humility in our human allegiances and enough confidence in our heavenly allegiances to know that there's something better, something more beautiful, something more true. And so this means that as we find ourselves in these humanly allegiances, that if they step out of line of the kingdom of God, that we can be okay to call them out and say that there's something better and something more true out there. So this means that like, we can live in this flesh knowing that like, we are Americans or something like that. right? And if America acts out of line with the vision of God's kingdom that we see in Jesus, that we can be quick to call it out and say, that is not OK. And there is a better, more beautiful way forward. This means that uh, with whatever sort of political ideology that we carry, that we can hold that. But if that acts out of line with the vision of God's kingdom that we see in Jesus, that we are willing to step into the in-between place and say, that is not OK, but there is a better, more beautiful way forward. That means that we can come from whatever family we, we come from. But if crazy old uncle uh, starts acting out of line, we can say that that is not OK, but there is a better, more beautiful way forward. To be in the in-between isn't some sort of moderate position, but it's to recognize that the kingdom of God takes this 2D world and makes it 3D, that there's a whole other dimension that's happening. It's to take an X, Y axis and to put a Z into the midst of it, right? To bring something to a more full realization. It's to uh, introduce a a third way into a tired old two-way system of binaries and dualities of left, right, black, white, either or, so what, uh, what is the in-between place that God might be calling you to step into? What might be the in-between place that God is inviting you to be embodied in, to join in on this work of peacemaking? For me, as I sit with this question, I think about the very place that I live. <laughs> um, as I was uh, coming up through college, I had kind of assumed that I would do what everybody else that looked like me and came from a similar background as me would do. Um, then I began to be confronted with like the societal ills of racism and poverty and I began to realize like if I want to follow God in making peace I couldn't just drive in and drive out. That in some way like I needed to be embodied in the in-between and to settle down roots to step out of my people, my tribe, my identity and to find myself embodied in the in-between to join in in what God was doing in establishing peace and shalom and wholeness to be shaped by a neighborhood, to be shaped by a people, to understand what God is doing in making peace. So maybe for you that means moving into a new neighborhood. By the way, there's two houses within a few blocks of us. I'd be happy to point those out to you if you'd like. But perhaps for you, maybe that is like taking a second look at our political ideologies and our political identities. Recognizing that um, perhaps these are too small. Perhaps recognizing that Both uh, fail to live up to God's vision of the kingdom that we see in Jesus and maybe it means uh, not giving full wholehearted blind allegiance to one party against another but recognizing that the kingdom of God exists outside of those binaries maybe it means that in work or school or our neighborhood there's a well-established group of who's who and maybe you have the privilege of being part of that but to step into the in-between, to be embodied in the in-between, maybe means going and sitting at the other kids' table at lunch, um, coming and, and getting to know them and being shaped by them. To be a peacemaker means to be embodied in the in-between. And as you might expect, this can be a really, really lonely place. Because <laughs> again, this means sometimes cutting ties with our people, our uh, tribe, our identity, and we can find ourselves perhaps even being uh, abandoned by our own people, our own tribe, or our own identity, and floating in no man's land, wondering if anybody will claim us. And I think it's because of this reality of being a peacemaker that we see in Jesus's list of his blessings at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, we see him include peacemakers. So at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, we have this this list of blessings called the Beatitudes. And throughout them, we see um, this, blessed are those uh, for whatever attribute they carry. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, we see, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, there tends to be like this cause and effect sort of thing that happens throughout the Beatitudes of like, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice, for they will be filled. Like there's there's something that makes sense in this cause and effect. But what makes sense about blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God? I think it has to deal with the fact that to be a peacemaker finds ourselves in the in-between. That it finds ourselves abandoned from our own people, our own tribe, our own identity. And yet, when we are embodied in that in-between making peace, God looks upon us and sees us joining in on the family business. And when God sees us joining in on the family business, God says, if nobody else wants to claim you, if nobody else wants to identify with you, if nobody else wants to own you, I will. And God looks at us and calls us child. See, to be a peacemaker is to be embodied in the in-between, which can be a really lonely, isolating place. And yet God looks upon us and calls us child, claims us as God's own, and invites us into an ever larger share of God's kingdom. So friends, may you join in in what God is doing here on earth. May you join in in being a peacemaker. May you join in in being embodied in the in-between. May you join in in this awkward, unique, precarious position of belonging to everyone and belonging to no one at the same time, knowing that as you do that, God looks at you and God calls you child. And may God's spirit empower us. May God's spirit give us courage and boldness to step into the in-between and to present a bigger, more better, more beautiful way forward that is the kingdom that Jesus taught us about. Let's pray. Loving God. Thank you for Jesus, and thank you for what you were and are doing in Christ, forming one new humanity, taking two groups, and creating something new entirely, tearing down the wall of hostility that existed and that continues to exist. God, may we follow your leading. May we see Timothy as a prototype, as an example and to be a peacemaker by being embodied in the in-between. God, when we feel lonely, when we feel isolated, when we feel exhausted, may we hear a soft whisper in our, we- our ear of you saying, you are my child. In all this we pray that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.